Today we will continue our discussion of Betty White, the talented psychic of the 1920s who died in 1939. Betty had a lot of interesting things to say about time. Sidereal time is what we know. But she makes us realize that psychological time of our own making is really more significant to our daily lives. Well, we all understand if we're waiting uh, for a plane to take off that's uh, hours late, that's a different experience of time from when you are enjoying yourself at a party. True time, which she called orthic time, is different from those two, she said. And she had a much greater ability to manipulate how she experienced it than we have for manipulating how we experience sidereal time. So she could experience past, present, and future. Another interesting concept, all you think and do is received and remains in time, though bodies and acts vanish from space. I think that's a particularly interesting concept. Everything we think and do is received and remains in time, though bodies and acts vanish from space. Another interesting idea, the obstructed universe, the one we live in, is for the purposes of birth and the individualization of consciousness. In other words, in order to go through the experiences that we do as humans, we've got to see ourselves separate from others. And we've got to have the time and space we do and bump into things with our low-density bodies. On a different subject about the reality of heaven, purgatory, and hell, Betty reinforces what others have said about their being of our own creation. All of us, she said, saint or sinner, have a tremendous fundamental urge to go on, to progress. But the person who's done all sorts of wrong on earth doesn't easily get adjusted and take control of manipulating his reality and progressing, as the urge would have him do. Consciousness is its own judge. Peace and rest do not come easily to those who have wronged seri seriously on earth, she said. Instead of going forward quickly to a higher degree with its perceptions and pleasures, they linger in the lower degree. They suffer from frustrated urge. Some spend endless, futile efforts trying to make restitution in the obstructed universe, further retarding themselves. Progress is made when the injured party arrives in the unobstructed universe. That's a happier circumstance, she said. That, that's where the 70 times 7 forgiveness thing comes in. They both understand. They both are free. There are two more interesting points made by Betty. The first concerns the comparison of small events to great purposes. From Betty's standpoint, she could see the general patterns or probabilities ahead for our obstructed universe and was asked how this relates to free will. Betty reinforced the existence of free will and made a distinction between intent in time and an event in time. The intent is broad, and in the case of the largest intent, the evolution of consciousness, there's nothing that we as individuals can do to stop it. Other large intents, such as the development of a democracy, can be influenced by us as individuals, but it's going to prevail regardless. Events, on the other hand, she said, are more malleable, and we can and do affect which events we will experience. An excellent analogy about how inevitable a given event might be was liken, likening it to an, a stream that's heading toward a waterfall. Just as the stream gains more acceleration and strength as it nears the edge of the waterfall, so events gain more solidity, more immunity against outside interference as they approach culmination. The second interesting and significant point uh, Betty made here is the comparison of the beauty of the universe Betty experienced uh, 
to the need and wisdom for us to stay focused here on everyday living and not to choose suicide. Joan, as Mrs. Finley was called by, by the whites, Joan was helped to briefly visit with her consciousness the world that Betty was inhabiting, and she described it. She spoke of her sense of freedom and liberty and the ability to go anywhere she might want. She waxed enthusiastic about the beautiful bodies people there inhabit. She said they shone with light and color and described Betty's body as a beautiful new color she'd not seen anywhere else, made up of a gold or rich deep rose and a sort of heavenly blue pulsating around her. It had a warm, sweet, very comforting feel to Joan. She could also hear what she likened to the music of the spheres that was postulated by Greek mathematicians. Beautiful voices sang all around her. She also understood that we could help those in that universe just as they help us. Very interesting. I seldom thought about that, that we can help those in that universe just as they help us. When presented with the problem that it was too attractive a world so that it might discourage a lot of people from doing much at all but just wait for it or commit suicide, Betty replied in no uncertain terms. The fact that you are a bit of individualized consciousness is itself a responsibility, she said. Each bit has to grow sometime. It has to keep up with the evolutional law. Consequently, the more quantity one attains, that means the more personal soul growth, the more quantity one attains in the obstructed universe, the more beautifully he will be able to go on in the unobstructed universe. Indeed, just that accumulation of quantity, meaning just that personal soul growth, is the reason a long life is desirable. Now, Betty was tough on those who withdraw from life for spiritual development without adequate accomplishment in the ordinary things of life. She decried the tendency of some to become overzealous in their idealistic thinking and try to force it on others. She also had little patience with those who would piously devote themselves to service while leaving their own backyards cluttered. She pointed out to Stute, her husband, that the mechanic who'd come in that day to make household repairs is gathering more quantity unto himself, that meaning personal soul growth, is gathering more quantity unto himself by going his own free-willed way according to his degree of quality than if he had permitted you to force on him the reading of books he could not understand. There's been too much holier-than-thou stuff, she said, and not enough recognition of the genuine adequacy of growth. In that same session, Betty made a simple point that could well serve as the philosophy of life for many of us. Here it is. It's the, only the emotional things that really count. If people are big enough to live right emotionally, the concrete things can be overridden. Because, and I want you all to get this, because nothing that happens to an individual is as important as what that individual thinks about it. I'll repeat that. Nothing that happens to an individual is as important as what that individual thinks about it. And lest we get too proud of our achievements here on earth, Betty had this to say. We do creative things here. There's not much original genius on your side. Sometimes there is, but... More often, what you call genius is a, is a dipping into of what individuals here accomplish. Great artists have dexterity, and as a rule, they are also great psychics. Sometimes they get our thought without being able to produce it, and that's a real tragedy. Scientists work on what you call scientific discovery and are subject to sudden solutions to their problems, as in sleep. Oh, we get the hint, Betty. 
Betty commented on how their ideas are inserted during sleep and made this interesting comment. And do not think for one moment that high, low, and in between do not at times tap the infinity of our thought. Okay, so what do you make of all this? Well, the simplest, most obvious explanation is that Betty White's personality survived and she saw an opportunity to do some good work after she died. She got in touch with her husband through a respected medium known to both of them so that her husband could help her. She provided plenty of evidential information, the little details that can only be known to her and Stute. But Lady Anne, one of the invisibles, made the following point about that, one which is highly significant. Here it is. And if you have wanted a proof that I, that Betty, still exist, better than all the so-called evidential we could possibly give, that proof is in our building up the foundation of your own empirical knowledge into new and advancing thought. All right, that, uh, that concludes our discussion of uh, Betty White. And in the next episode, we will talk a lot about the airmen who would not die, as described in books by John Fuller, the uh, respected author. Again, I'm Dan McEnany, bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.